It's Wednesday on Weagle, and that means it's time for some tailgate talk with Christian and Donovan, your go-to for all things college football. So get ready for a recap and a breakdown of all the college football scores, news, and predictions. So drop your tailgates, grab your playbooks, and get ready to talk some football. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to a very, very special episode of Tailgate Talk on Weagle 91.1 FM. My name is Christian Griffin, and alongside me, as usual, is the one and only Donovan Weaver. And before we get into why this episode is so special, I would like to give a huge announcement that our show is officially on Spotify. Logo is still being processed, so that's still kind of a a work in progress, but we have a picture of us for the time being. But that's neither here or there. Search us up, Tailgate Talk, on Spotify there. You'll find any of our previous episodes. Keep up with us for any of our future episodes. And, yeah, that's just a huge announcement for our show in general. No, no, it's big time. We finally made it big. We're on Spotify. And, again, I feel like we should have done this all along, but we yeah. are. We, this <laughs> our, Weagle is our main thing at the time being. We are a radio show, so we didn't want to, like, overstep our bounds and just say, like, hey, like we're just going to put this on Spotify without telling y'all. But Weagle was nice enough to set it up for us. We didn't really have to do anything. And, yeah, we're officially on Spotify, which is a great thing. But we do have a great show on tap. But before we get into this, we want to talk about why this is such a special show. Uh, as you know, Thanksgiving's tomorrow. So you probably be thinking, man, I can't believe they're even doing a show. They Shouldn't they be at home? They're college students. Well, you would be correct. The Student Center, which is where we record out of, the Melton Student Center here at Auburn University, is closed. It is, it is not open. Nobody else is in the building. All the doors were locked. So I came up just for the show and to get some stuff. And Christian got here and he called me and said, hey, I think the student center is locked. Like, we're not even going to be able to do the show. And I was like, you're kidding me. Yeah, panic button. Was so hit. panic mode started going. We started checking all the doors. They weren't working. We started talking about, oh, I guess we're just going to have to record this on the phone. It's going to sound really awful because we got we got to get the show out. This is an important show. It's the biggest one of the year. And Christian says, you know what? I, I've got this little key card I use when I, when I do broadcasting because uh, Christian does broadcasting for some of the sports uh, for some of the Auburn sports here at Weagle, and it worked. The door opened. We let ourselves in. All the lights are off. We don't know how to turn anything on. All we know how to do is work the radio and how to get this on air. But, hey, we're live. We're I don't here. even know how to do that. I know how to talk into a I'm, microphone. So. I'm, say, I'm the sound guy. I'm really, really, <laughs> really, uh, really efficient, uh, so efficient that this is our second recording. <laughs> I wasn't going to mention it. So efficient. This is our second recording of the intro because I messed up. So technically, we're going over live at what, uh, 4.53 to <laughs> a bunch of people like, why are we hearing this again? So sorry about that. But before we get into the show, we just want to give you some updates on what's going on across this country in other sports. Auburn basketball is off to a 5-0 start, uh, beating Bradley a couple nights ago in Cancun. They have Northwestern coming up again tonight at 7. We will be talking about Auburn a lot more, especially when college football ends up ending. We'll kind of switch over to kind of a college basketball slash NFL slash uh, yeah, miscellaneous. Yeah, the, yeah. The just, whole, uh, the kitchen drawer. Yeah, the, the whole everything. But we will be talking about them more. Uh, looking looking good to start the season. I feel like people are a little down on us right now. We are the number 13 team in the country. I think Bruce said this a couple, like a week ago. He said, we're not the 13th best team in the country right yeah. now. We don't look like it. Slow start to the season. I feel like people are expecting 
what happened last season just carry over even though you lost what two first round draft picks so I don't know what what do you think about Auburn basketball so far first of all I love Bruce for saying stuff like that his honesty and stuff like that of how like yeah we're not we're not very good right now but if you're asking any coach in the country I don't think you want to be very good right now I mean obviously you want to be good enough to win games but Auburn last year peaked so early everything worked from them for November, all of December, and pretty much all of January. But they were so one-dimensional that once that one roadblock got hit, they didn't know how to adapt to it because you've spent two and a half months prepping this offense that worked. Well, right now you're kind of in a scratch-your-head mode because the three ball is not falling. There's a bunch of new pieces. You're trying to figure out who plays well together, who needs to come off the bench. Like if you would have told me that Katie Johnson would be coming off the bench – early in the season I probably wouldn't have believed you but I mean he put up 14 or 13 or 14 last night uh so I mean he's very efficient and again like a Bruce would love to be able to correct all of those minor issues now to where you can start peaking in late February early March or you know once you get into conference play so that way all of those little question marks can be taken care of yeah we talked about this on the first go around how baseball and basketball are so are you hot right now? It's not necessarily who's the best team, like who is who's hot at, at the right time. And again, you want that scenario in 2018, 2019 where Auburn, maybe not the best team, but they got hot at the right time, made that Final Four run, uh, barring a double dribble, might have won the national championship <laughs> that year. Uh, and then last year, you could arguably say was the greatest team in Auburn basketball history. Yeah. And they got put out in the round of 32. So it's just one of those things uh, – a good example, again, is the Braves. I thought we had a much better team this year than last year. Last year, we won the World Series. This year, we don't even we don't even make it. Yeah. So it's just one of those things you never really know. But we will be covering Auburn basketball a lot more at the end of January because that's when SEC play starts. And then also, the World Cup has started. Uh, USA tied Wales 1-1 in the opening match. They do play England Friday, and they play Iran Tuesday. Big matchup against England, especially with the tie against Wales. Most people thought the U.S. were going to win that game. Now that England game becomes a lot more important because points are really weird in soccer. Me and Christian aren't super into it, so I don't want to act like I know what I'm talking about. But basically, this is a huge game uh, Friday. Uh, U.S. probably needs to either tie or win it outright. And then in the world of the NFL, the Falcons improved to 5-6, and six, still in the playoff hunt. They play Washington this Sunday. Uh proving that you don't necessarily have to have the best roster in the NFL to compete because the Atlanta Falcons do not have the best no. roster. No, one of the worst rosters in the NFL. But if it's good with you, Christian, I'm good to let's, – let's get into the Week 12 recap. Yeah, let's do it. Okay, so first off, we got Georgia beating Kentucky 16-6 to in a game that I think a lot of people thought was going to be a – lot not this close not at all Georgia scored a touchdown late in the third to go up 16 and nothing but Will Levis did lead the Wildcats uh, on a 99 yard touchdown drive in the fourth but failed to make the two-point conversion to make it a one-score game um Georgia's Kenny McIntosh uh the running back for Georgia went for 143 yards and a touchdown it was just kind of a rainy and cold just defensive game but kind of a shout uh, you know shout out to the Wildcats for making it close defense played really well they did yeah and I mean we talk about it every week. Not every win is going to be a pretty one. Uh, and luckily for Georgia, they found a way to win an ugly one. Like you said, it was 9 to nothing at halftime before the touchdown late in the third quarter. 
But again, like you said, I don't think 16 to 6 was on too many bingo boards uh, for the final score on this one. And the biggest thing with me is it amazes me to see Will Levis as high as he is on the draft boards for quarterbacks. He's, like still, I, he's still like number six, yeah. for like overall, not for the quarterbacks, but he's projected number six to, I think, Carolina right now yeah. on a lot of people's draft boards. So. And again, I was high on him earlier in the year, but and that that and that ninety-nine yard drive was impressive. But he's just maybe people just think it's what he has around him. Maybe they just think he has nothing yeah. around him, and he just has he does just have a lot of talent, and he has no help. But no, I'm I'm a little surprised he's high as high up as he is too. Oh my! Oh sorry, my computer just totally <laughs> shut off. No, yeah, I I agree one hundred percent. I feel like it. You could look at it with the argument of. You know, you have to find the pieces around you that fit to mold that quarterback. But again, I mean, you're playing in the SEC. It's not like you're yeah, playing with scrubs. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you're playing with, with top receivers and top offensive linemen, you would at least presume. So putting up six points in four quarters is definitely not the way that you want to go out. But you are playing a number one team in the country and give credit to the Georgia defense for only allowing one touchdown throughout those four quarters. And move ahead to the Ohio State and Maryland game, one that we didn't really think to to highlight at all. Um, Ohio State survives the scare. They were down 13-10 to 10 at halftime before 17 straight points in the third quarter behind a huge day from Dalen Hayden. I feel like every week we're naming a different Ohio State running back that seems to put up big numbers, uh, 146 yards on 27 carries and three touchdowns. C.J. Stroud kind of took the back seat on this one, still went 18 of 30 for 241 yards and a touchdown. But that 13-point win was a little bit closer than what the score prevails it to be. A touchdown off of a fumble with nine seconds remaining gave Ohio State essentially that two-score win. But bigger news ahead as the playoff solidification game comes next week. Yeah, no, and we're going to talk about that Michigan game coming up next. But as you said, really wasn't on our, our radar. Both these Big Ten games, Maryland, uh, Ohio State, and Michigan, Illinois, didn't really think about it much, thought these two teams would take care of business. Um, as Lee Corsa would say, not so fast. Again, <laughs> this was a this was a 13-10 game at halftime, and uh, the Tarps were winning. They were yeah. beating Ohio State at half. And, again, that 43, uh, 43-30 score is not, indicat- uh, not indicative of what this game was. I think what Ohio State kicked a field goal – with like just under two minutes to go up 36-30, and then or it was like 40 seconds, and it was yeah it was under a minute, and then Maryland got the ball back, and then obviously the fumble for the touchdown. So that 43-30, no, this was a one-score game. Maryland almost did what most people thought was the impossible and upset Ohio State, but that does uh, kind of transition to again what I just said, Michigan narrowly beating out Illinois 19-17. Michigan led at half only 7-3. Then Illinois kind of rallied back to lead 17-10 going to the fourth. And then Michigan's Jake Moody, their kicker, makes three fourth-quarter field goals, including a 35-yarder with nine seconds left to win it. Uh, How did Illinois just kind of put uh, the Wolverines kind of on their heels and make this game kind of a drag-out brawl? Well, first of all, a seven-play, 75-yard touchdown drive on the opening opening possession for Michigan – that almost that was honestly what everybody was expecting. Everybody that everybody was thinking that drive was going to be indicative of what the final score would be and how the game would progress. But again, that was obviously not how it played. Um, Illinois just did a great job of holding on to the ball. Honestly, um, they didn't necessarily do anything with a lot of their drives. But when you're taking three to four minutes off of each and every single drive, 
it's enough time to take the offense out of rhythm. Uh, along with that, uh, Blake Corum was injured in that game. So the Michigan passing attack isn't necessarily one to be completely devastated or feared. Uh, again, we'll talk about that later because that's completely opposite of their opponent in the game. But, yeah, once again, Jake Moody, three fourth-quarter field goals. Uh, but there is one play that I'm sure most college football fans have seen, whether it's in this game or in previous games, that are sometimes called and sometimes not. And it is the famous pick play that I guess you could say was made famous by Clemson in the 2017 National Championship game when – Deshaun Watson, I believe it was, yeah, it was the little the pick play against Alabama to win the national championship game. Obviously, after that year, the pick play became a much heavier looked-at call uh, to be offensive pass interference. And if we're being completely honest, Michigan ran, I guess you could call a perfect pick play, um, on a fourth-and-four play at midfield with 40 seconds remaining. They completed that, and ironically, the very next play – Illinois was called for a defensive pass interference. Granted, that was the right call. Just kind of ironic how those two plays uh, worked out, both for one team and neither for the other team. Head coach for the Illini, Brett Belema, was, uh, I guess you could say, not pleased. I feel like that's a, a politically correct way of saying um, something other than how he was feeling. But he was not pleased with the officiating, especially on that final drive. Um he actually tweeted a couple times regarding that play. A couple fans tweeted like, "How is this not pass interference?" And he quoted some. He, he quote tr- quote tweeted it or whatever, saying, "Sorry, Illini. Like we will practice this and and we'll, we'll learn how to d- defend this and practice." And uh, I don't know. I feel like that's a funny way to respond to a very. I don't. I don't even want to say a questionable call. It was definitely an offensive pass interference, but it put Michigan in easy field goal position or t- field goal territory for them and Jake Moody to kick the game winner. Yeah, but, I mean, yeah, obviously I, I agree. Uh, I went back and watched that final drive and some questionable calls. It just it, – it's so weird how a whole game can happen and then one play by the – kind of by the refs can decide the whole thing. And, again, Illinois uh, was kind of on the losing end of that uh, call. Uh, but congrats to Ohio State and Michigan for taking care of business. It doesn't matter how ugly it was, they took care of business. And now they get to play for a spot in the Big Ten Championship and probably a spot in the college football playoff. But we are going to take a short break. Uh, we'll be back. we still got to recap a couple more games. But you're listening to Tailgate Talk on Weagle 91.1 FM. And welcome back to Tailgate Talk on Weagle 91.1. We are recapping the Week 12 games. And next on our agenda is TCU defeating Baylor 29-28. Max Dugan, Christian's favorite quarterback in all the land, leads two late drives to get the win, throws for 327 yards, a touchdown, and an interception. Uh, I don't know if y'all watched the end of this game, but you need to go back and look at it. TCU, TCU had a rush on the field goal unit as time was expiring. There was like four seconds on the clock. The kicker didn't even have time to like you know go through his preparation. He basically just went to a spot yeah. on the field, and they snapped it, and he he did it. Kicker Griffin Kale nailed a 40-yard field goal as time expired. Uh, the Horn Frogs staying staying in the cultural playoff hunt with a huge win against the Baylor Bears. Uh, what did you see in this one, and how did TCU pull it out? Yeah, it was easily the game of the week. You, you could look at a couple other games and give an argument, but if you went back and watched this game right here, this was easily the game of the week. I remember I was I was honest, I was doing laundry, uh, getting ready to go to work, and I turned it on. And at first I was, I was making fun of my girlfriend because we were doing uh, fantasy, and she had TCU as like her seven-point 
favorite to win. Uh, and I was like, uh-oh, this is getting a little scary. And she was like, ah, oh, dang it, dang it. So I started giving her little updates, and I remember I can go back and find it. I was like, holy crap, holy crap, holy crap, they won. Like, it was just – it was a crazy game. Like, usually as a, as a fan, when you don't really care who wins, the energy level matches that. You don't care. You're like, oh, wow, and then you move on. But watching that game, and especially, like you said, I'm a big – I would like to give a correction. It is Duggan. I have been saying Duggan all year. It is Max Duggan, so I apologize. We, we've both been butchering yeah, that, man. I'd like to apologize to him, but I finally got to watch Max Duggan play. And if you haven't, you need to. Or as better words, as soon as halftime hits, turn on the TCU game because they're two different offenses that come on, and they find a way to do it every single week. You always, you always sit there and wonder, all right, is this going to be the game? where the second half offense doesn't show up or is it going to be the game where you know the defense makes the adjustment and TCU can't find a way to score well the answer this week was once again somehow no um following his third quarter interception Duggan was 11 for 17 for 166 yards and a touchdown he also had rushes for 7 21 and 12 and all of those were in the fourth quarter and all three of those were on third down for first downs so you were talking about a guy who is willing to take a hit to get a first down. And then again, there's there's things that Max Duggan does that doesn't necessarily show up on a stat sheet that that indicate a player's leadership ability. And I feel like that in itself is one of the main reasons why he deserves a ticket to New York City at the end of the year. Honestly, he does. Not only for the fact of being a quarterback of – let's not – get it twisted, uh, a, a number four team in the country who has a legitimate shot at the playoff uh, at the playoff spot, but someone who can literally take over a game when he needs to. Once again, I mean, 11 for 17 for 166 yards and a touchdown. Uh, when they were down eight, he led a 11-play, 90-yard touchdown drive. And then down two with a minute and a half remaining, a nine-play, 45-yard drive that led up that field goal. And then again... I feel like I feel like there's a word that can go around this time of year in college football, and I feel like that could easily be chaos. And that field goal was a perfect example of it. Uh, and it's funny because Sonny Dykes got interviewed literally 30 seconds after the kick, or after the kick, and he was asked, you know, what led you into that, and he was like, well, believe it or not, we practiced that. And that's, I mean whether he was lying or not, like that's kind of awesome to think about. And it makes sense as, you know, we saw the perfect preparation. And I feel like as a kicker, it almost makes the job a little bit easier because you just have to run on the field and go make the kick. I was about to say, you don't really think about you it. You don't have time. <laughs> no, you, you don't have time to think about it. And it's one of those things, I don't know if you've ever seen For Love of the Game, it's a Kevin Costner baseball movie. And most people think it's like one of his worst baseball, like uh, sports movies because he's like the king of sports right. movies. But... um. They send in like the ninth inning. He's he's like forty five years old. He's going to pitch a perfect game, and they they put in a rookie, and they're like, "This is a great move by the skipper because he just he doesn't know the magnitude right. of it. It's like you don't even think about it. It's just like, oh, I'm just a baseball game. And it's kind of like the same logic. Like you don't even have time to think about. It. You just go up and hit it. I can think about like hitting a, a really like a uh, shot in golf that means a lot. If you just told me you you got, you got five seconds to go hit that putt, I'm not even thinking about it. I'm yeah. just going to go do it. And that could be a bad thing, but obviously it was a good thing in this case because I mean he nailed it. He, he put it right up the uprights. But no. I mean, a great game by TCU. And, again, uh, Max uh, Dugan doing what he needs to do to keep TCU in that playoff hunt. And they control their own destiny. Obviously, we're going to talk about their upcoming game in a little bit. You got one more thing to add about yeah, TCU? Yeah, no, I was just going to talk about how I really like that 
that comparison right there. That was that was, that was solid. Yeah, because it's very true. You think about it, you know, the, you hear the saying talking about like a true freshman in like a college football playoff spot who has to come. I think a Tua a couple years ago playing Georgia. Yes, yeah, great he example. Didn't, he didn't have. He didn't have the failure yet in college football. I mean, I guess he didn't really have too much failure in college football in general, but he didn't have the college football failure to think about the, oh, shoot, what if I mess up? It was literally, all right, I got to go out and play now. And, I mean, you see what he did there. And, again, that's a perfect example of not only the TCU offense, honestly, but that play that could honestly go down as one of the most famous plays in TCU history if, if it could lead up to a college football playoff spot and and it's looking like it's gonna end up doing that but let's move on here and this is kind of a weird uh, week because like a lot of top 10 teams almost lost the teams they shouldn't have uh obviously tcu michigan ohio state played a bunch of unranked teams and almost lost but one team in the top 10 did get beat uh south carolina drum tennessee 63 to 38 Kind of a weird game. South Carolina led 35-31 early in the third. This was a very competitive game. And then the Gamecocks scored 28 unanswered points in the third and fourth quarter to just kind of blow them out. Spencer Radler, 30-37 of 37 for 438 yards and six touchdowns. Have yourself a day. And what an upset. I mean, that's great for the Gamecocks. They stormed the field after him. Why wouldn't you? It's top 10 team. that And Tennessee, kind of outside looking in, it would have been a long shot. But they were still playing for the cultural playoff. Yeah. Not anymore. No, definitely not anymore. I mean, yeah, give credit to, to Beamer Ball and Shane Beamer, what he's doing down there. We've had him a couple of times. His name has popped up a couple of times on the show with uh, with his pregame – or the preseason little TikTok videos and stuff like that. And after beating Kentucky, what he says. I've talked to a couple guys down there who or who went to South Carolina and they talk about Beamer being such a good pick for that program because for some coaches South Carolina might just be a stepping stone but South Carolina for Beamer is where he wants to be and I feel like that's a great thing as a coach because you know you're you're not just playing for that next step you're playing for where you want to be and that's such a huge thing there uh yeah but let me give you a little rundown just a quick rundown of um South Carolina's possessions you ready Touchdown, 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 touchdown. Uh, one run before half. Uh, three and out. Dang. Mm. Mm. Touchdown, <laughs> touchdown, touchdown, touchdown. End of game. <laughs> Beamer ball right there. <laughs> I mean, that's a pretty solid, pretty solid little look right there. I, I saw that South Carolina actually they ran out of fireworks because they had scored too many times, and Beamer made a couple jokes about that. But bigger news for Tennessee rather than the final as their star quarterback and Heisman hopeful Hendon Hooker does exit the game early in the fourth quarter. It has been confirmed that Hendon Hooker will miss the rest of the year with an ACL tear. Uh, Obviously, it's awful news as not only Tennessee, as as an SEC fan or a Tennessee fan, but in the world of college football, you saw what he did to a Tennessee team that was kind of down and out. We've talked about it recently about how Tennessee's had the pieces that they've needed to have but didn't have that that anchor that quarterback position to to lead them where they need to be well it's clear that they found that guy in this year Uh, I mean the stat line was honestly insane I mean honestly if you're looking at it through 11 and a half games I mean those stats in other years could be deserving of a Heisman Trophy I don't know if that'll turn out this year but just credit to him and shout out to Tennessee for the year that they did put together behind him. Um, 
But that loss, it did, it stirs up a lot of, again, that word chaos keeps coming up in the college football rankings. We'll talk about it again a little bit later. But it's crazy to think that with that loss, there's another team uh, on the other side of the state that is possibly playing from the very outside looking in. But there's still there's still a chance that that team has a shot. Yeah, no, it, 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 that is a very unfortunate shot. But again, yeah, the Hinton Hooker thing, putting together one of the best quarterback uh, season there since Peyton Manning all the way back in the 90s. And it's just kind of heartbreaking to see because he, he was having a Heisman year. He, he, he'll probably still get an invite in New York, and I still think he should for the year he did put together. But it, it does stink for the Vols that he is out. He will miss the rest of the year. That does uh, that does make uh, the last game of the season for the Vols very interesting, though, and we will be talking about that coming up. Uh, moving on, USC does get it done against UCLA. Uh, they won that game 48-45. 1,162 total yards between these two teams. Uh, UCLA was driving with a minute 30, but throws an interception in the game. Uh, the turnover margin was four to one in favor of USC, and that's honestly what that's why they lost the game. Uh, yeah. you, uh, UCLA probably should have won this game, but you, I mean, you throw three interceptions and a, and a and you lose a fumble, and you, you can't you can't lose the turnover margin four one and expect to win. And you still almost won, but again, that pick kind of ended it at the end of the game there. Yeah, I mean, we talked about how how well Caleb Williams is taking care of the ball so far this year. He did have that one interception, but like you mentioned, that's. That was nothing compared to UCLA's four. Williams strikes again, going 32 of 43. That's a pretty solid completion percentage there. Uh, 470 yards on top of that and two touchdowns. Once again, did have the interception. And USC now uh, is confirmed to advance to the Pac-12 title game to play what we're guessing is Oregon unless they find a way to slip up. And then that's the case. Washington would slide in as the two-loss team to face the Trojans. Uh, But the question that I have for you is – is USC getting a little bit mistreated by the playoff committee considering L- or yeah, LSU went into the five spot and they played UAB and a USC team played a very good UCLA team who was ranked in the top 10 earlier in the year and did not jump LSU. Again, that five and six spot, I guess, you know, take it for what it is. But if you're looking at it and if that's the case, if both of those teams went out, you would have LSU at the four instead of a Pac-12 title contender and champion looking at that four spot yeah I, I don't see how you put LSU above you uh USC I know I, and I think everybody is that's kind of the grants across the country that USC should be in that number five spot looking in as the probably gonna end up being the Pac-12 champion but obviously Oregon's got a little bit to say about that but no I think it's a little disrespectful especially when you go look at LSU's resume where they they lo- they lose to Florida State, which is starting to look like a better loss now. Florida State is coming up. They yeah. might, they're probably in, in the season nine and three. We'll see when they face uh, Florida uh, later this uh, week. But no, you got LSU who could have lost to Auburn. They got drummed by Tennessee, which is isn't looking at, like such a great uh, loss now. But no, a little disrespectful by them. But we're gonna take another break. Uh, coming back, we're gonna talk about our heaves. He oh sorry. He is the man, uh, the two people we have picked for who should get the Player of the Week honors. And then who's hot, who's not. Uh, you're not going to want to miss it. You're listening to Tailgate Talk on Weagle 91.1 F. And welcome back to Tailgate Talk on Weagle 91.1. Uh, we still have two more games to get through because, again, we, we've kind of got an extended little show <laughs> here. So we're kind of just taking our time moseying our way through all these games. Oregon uh, pulling it out against Utah 20-17. to 
Utah did battle back from a 17-3 deficit at half, but they did come up short. Uh, three toner, three turnovers apiece for each team, so just kind of a sloppy game. Uh, Bo Nix battles through injury uh, to stay in the Pac-12 title race. Again, they are the number two team. Right now in the Pac-12, they are going to need to win against Oregon State this weekend to uh, to end up facing USC. But good on Bo Nix uh, after you know suffering that injury and that loss to battle, bounce back uh, and get the win here. Yeah, it was a big win there for for Oregon. For again, the main reason I think I think playoff contention, you're you're not looking at a possibility anymore. But a Pac-12 title is still a very very serious and you know not something to look over at all. Speaking of look over, I feel like we wrote off Utah pretty early in the year after that loss to Florida. So it's crazy, you know, when you're looking at the the whole body of work throughout a college football season and you see how all of a sudden they were almost in the driver's seat for a Pac-12 title game if they would have beat Oregon because then they would have been the two-loss team to to bounce over Oregon. But now you're looking at Utah running that table. Um, but, yeah, once again, I mentioned last week how Oregon's run defense would be good enough to stop Tavion Thomas, uh, and Cameron Rising did not you know, really step up. Uh, went 21 of 38, which is an awful 170, but did have those three interceptions. Utah did not have an offensive touchdown. Their offensive or their touchdown came off of a scoop and score. And so Oregon, again, like we mentioned, regarding a loss to, uh, to their rival Oregon state would be playing USC in that PAC 12 title game. Yeah, no, it was just again, it was kind of a kind of a weird game. Again, Bo Nix was kind of limited the whole game, but uh, good on him for battle and didn't have a didn't have a terrible game. He I, he, I think he he did what he ne- obviously did what he needed to do. Yeah, I saw that he actually he got sacked a couple times, but his only rush for positive yards, and I think it was honestly the only time that they had him on like a QB read type situation, was on like a third and one with thirty seconds left where they needed to get the first down, and. It's funny how much his legs bring to that offense because if you're only putting up 20 points when Bo is a pocket passer, you know we've we've seen those kinds of struggles. But when Bo is able to to extend plays with his legs or you know read that defensive end uh, to break away on the QB read like he did on this play right here, uh, it shows how electric that offense can be. I'm about to say, speaking of electric QBs that get hampered when they can't run, <laughs> Arkansas. Uh, what a great leeway, right? Uh, there. Thank you, thank you for that. Arkansas beating for uh, beating Ole Miss, 42 to 27. They were leading 42 to six going into the fourth. Lane Kiffin said, "Okay, this was kind of fun. I just want to mention this." Lane Kiffin said after the game he wouldn't be the number one candidate for the Auburn job after that after watching that first half. If that's all you watched, uh, Arkansas's running back Raheem Sanders goes for 232 yards and three touchdowns, 9.7 yards per carry. So an insane game by him. But again, it just kind of proves, and we I've been saying it all year when KJ Jefferson plays, that Arkansas team is a very good team. When he doesn't. They're nothing, and they just kind of proved it again this Saturday. Yeah, I mean, you take the literally the tale of two games. If you're looking at this game and you're looking at last week when they played at home versus LSU and put up 10 points. I mean, if you're telling me that K.J. Jefferson is in charge of that Arkansas offense against uh, LSU, there's no way they're only putting up 10 points, and I honestly feel like it could have been another game like this to where Arkansas would have run away with it. And, again, you see, you see what happens when – a quarterback goes down and that's such a risk it's such a it's such a effective thing to have as an offense but it's such a risk that you play with a running quarterback because you see if that piece is missing how much of the offense can go away because 
you game plan for the quarterback to be able to have design runs, or if not, you expect him to be able to make a couple of those scrambles for first downs when the defense is in a zone and stuff like that. And without that, the, the offense can be completely different. Yeah, I know. This Arkansas team just a weird team. They're sitting here at 6-5. and five. Obviously, they were one of my picks to maybe be a dark horse. But, I mean, one of their losses is to A&M by two and to Liberty by two. And then, again, you had that LSU game. So, just a couple more. I feel like if K.J. Jefferson's healthy the whole year, this is a we're, – we're talking about Arkansas maybe being like a 10-1, and 9-2 team and possibly like a Sugar Bowl, uh, New Year's Six Bowl bib. But now they're, they're sitting here at 6-5 and uh, five and, you know, just I guess trying to get into the Outback Bowl at this point would probably be their best bet for 7-5. And, seven a, to five. and a, a team, again, we're talking about how weird college football is. This was a team with K.J. Jefferson that lost to Texas A&M. You're right about that. <laughs> I, I about to say, I, I was hoping you wouldn't catch that. I, I wanted to seem really smart. But, yeah, so Arkansas, again, just – proves how weird college football is but let's move on to he is the man the segment where we just kind of highlight the player who we thought had the biggest impact on their game Christian who is yours yeah you know we we've tried to stray away from this being a strictly quarterback award because it feels like those are the ones that can easily get highlighted but when you have a game like Mr. Spencer Radler did once again 30 of 37 438 yards and six touchdowns again that offense punted the ball once. Uh, the other two drives that they didn't score were essentially kneel downs uh, at the end of the half and at the end of the game. And to knock off a top 10 opponent at your place, at your crib, that's a, it's a tough thing to do in general. Uh, but when you're able to do it with a team, uh, as against a team like Tennessee, you know, they're obviously not known for their defense, but you know, numbers like that or video game numbers, you do that against any team and you're you're deserving of an award. Yeah, somebody told me that Spencer Adler is kind of weird. He, he could either give you six touchdowns or six interceptions. And yeah. I was like, that's, that's a good way to describe him. You just never know what you're going to get from him. And obviously you got a lot from him last Saturday as he just kind of went off. But mine is, as we said, we don't want to make this a quarterback award, so I'm going to go the opposite. Okay, I'm glad of, you did. Yeah, complete end of the spectrum. We haven't given this award to a kicker yet. So Jake Moody, kicker, yeah, kicker from Michigan. Four for four on field goals, three in the fourth quarter alone, two from over 40 yards, and then obviously the big one was he kicked one with nine seconds left, the game winner. But, yeah, three fourth-quarter field goals. That's clutch. Didn't miss one all game. So I felt like he was definitely deserving and kept the Wolverines in the college football playoff uh, talk because if he just misses one of those kicks, then they're out. They're done. Yeah, I mean, whenever whenever a kicker puts up more points than an offense does, I feel like he's – very deserving of some credibility. So, yeah, I mean, he's putting up 12 points and the other rest of the offense is putting up seven, and that's on the very first drive of the game. Or uh, Technically, he's putting up 13 because he kicks the extra points. So he's put up, he put up 13, the offense put up six. He's doubling the offensive offensive point spread. Uh, yeah, you're, you're deserving of a, an award or two here. Yeah, so congratulations to the Wolverines and Jake Moody specifically. But we're going to move on to – uh, our favorite segment, who's hot, who's not. Uh, obviously, we're not going to get through the whole segment uh, in the short little five minutes we got, but we are going to start off with the hots. Christian, who do you got first? Yeah, number one, we've mentioned his name a couple of times here for questionability for this upcoming week, but what's not questionable is his impact on the community. Blake Corum, uh, the star Michigan running back and arguably Heisman hopeful when you're looking at the stats that he's putting up, he donates his NIL money to donate – or uses his NIL money, I'm sorry, to donate Thanksgiving turkeys around his community. Uh, this is his second straight year doing this act. 
Uh, Cuts is the NIL money donating Thanksgiving turkeys to the less fortunate communities. It's not only a great look for the running back, but it's a better insight to the character and the benefits of NIL. I feel like everybody's against what the NIL does, but when you use it in a manner like this, it shows the positive reinforcements that it has because, I mean, we're we're in the South, we're in Auburn. College football is literally your livelihood. Um, And so when you're seeing players do things for a community, it's not only impactful, but it it gives a special appreciation off the field to players that you just see with pads on. And, you know, we've seen more and more players doing stuff like this and how they've impacted their communities with their earnings. So it's great to see, you know, whether he was one of the leaders doing it a couple of years or last year, but we're seeing more and more players step up and do things like this. And I think it's really cool to see. No, it's really awesome. I, I feel like it's really easy to think like, Oh, these guys get paid a ton of money and I'd love to be in their position. But uh, and while they are very fortunate, uh, they worked really hard to get where they're at. And, I mean, that's money. Again, we're in college. We're not rich. So when you're getting that money, that's yeah. that's your livelihood. And you're not guaranteed a next-level spot to get to, you know. So this could be like your big payday in, in these four years. And the fact that uh, you're giving a good amount to uh, to people in need, you know, that's great on him. And uh, love to see it. Again, hopefully uh, that'll kind of just be like a snowball effect, and we'll continue to see that across the college football world. Uh, our number two Iowa, could they be uh, the uh, Big Ten West champions again for two years in a row? Iowa is 7-4, and four, leading the Big Ten West despite having the fourth-best record in the conference. <laughs> they face Nebraska Friday, and these standings are kind of weird-looking. So you got Iowa at 7-4, you got Purdue at 7-4, you got Illinois at 7-4, and four, and you got Minnesota at 7-4. and four. So, again, if they can take care of business against Nebraska, they win. But if they don't, that causes this weird scenario to where, like, Four teams possibly could win the West there. Um, this honestly deserves a segment in itself, just the, the Big Ten in general. Yeah. And probably a broader conversation that maybe they need to shake up this conference because <laughs> you have Michigan, Ohio State, and Penn State all in the same little build. And then on the other side, I mean, you have like big names like Wisconsin, Nebraska, but like they really haven't been relevant in a good while. So maybe it's time for the Big Ten to kind of shake it up. But no, Nebraska has a chance to go back-to-back in the West, uh, obviously, last year they faced Michigan in the Big Ten Championship game. wasn't quite competitive, 42-3 to in, in that losing effort. But, hey, good on Iowa because I didn't think anybody expected them to be good at all this year. And they have a chance to go 8-4 and four and maybe cause a little stir up in the college football playoff if they could go in and upset uh, Ohio State or Michigan. Yeah, not only could they be Big Ten West champions, but, if, I mean, if something crazy happened, they could be Big Ten champions. And, you know, I feel like if that was the case, we might – have to write some handwritten letters to Iowa giving some apologies to to their program because we've definitely gotten a couple laughs out of their program with their complete lack of offense still I guess you could say Uh, and a couple other times their name has been mentioned in the not category so for once we're going to throw them in the hot give them give respect to where it's due and yeah if they win if they win this Saturday Big Ten West champions and what could be Big Ten champions outright, which is a crazy thought in itself. Uh, But what's not crazy is the fact that, once again, Mike Leach is on our list for the Hots. Once again, the head coach for the Mississippi State Bulldogs gives a quote that's just honestly worthy of an award or worthy of a plaque, needs to be written. I mean, I'll I'll get it tattooed on me somewhere just because why not? I feel like there's something week by week. And for me, it's something that, I'd have to write up and think of for 
for a week or so, have to revise and edit it. But this just it just comes so naturally for him. Um, after his win against East Tennessee State on Saturday, they moved to seven and four. Uh, head coach Mike Leach was asked on what or asked what was on his Thanksgiving holiday plate, and I'm gonna read this to you. And, well, actually, here I'll start a timer here. I'm gonna I'm gonna see how long it takes me to read this. Here we go. Stopwatch. All right, you ready? Here we go. Quote. Oh, I'm not a big, I, may, I always make the gravy, and I do make great gravy, but I'm not a big cook. I haven't been, but I make the gravy, and I have for decades. I always get white meat, a little stuffing, but not too much, some mashed potatoes, gravy over everything. Hopefully, they have some greens. They generally don't, and then a corner of green beans, never sweet potatoes, and I like the fruit pies better than all this pumpkin and apple stuff. Uh, that took me 26 seconds. It took him a minute and a half. So if you're thinking about the reporter that asked the question, I'm sure about 30 seconds in, she was very regretful asking this question. She followed it by asking if he was a fan of cranberry sauce. And he said, yeah, but just a little droplet of it. I'm not going to get carried away with that either. But arguably the worst quote. And I mean, honestly, it's very personal. We can all relate to it when we're at the movies. Enjoy your movie or enjoy your food. You too. So uh, she said, thanks, coach. Enjoy the win. Or congrats on the win. And he said, thanks, you too. And I feel like that's the perfect way to cap off this amazing quote yet again from Mike Leach himself. I'm about to say, so I've learned that gravy is above all else. Uh, apparently apple pie is no good. We don't need no, that. No corn, uh, candy corn. Yeah, no, no candy corn. No, Mike Leach is, is a godsend. I know some people, I've read this like, okay, we're tired of this shtick. No, I love him. I hope he keeps on doing this every single week. I love reading him. It's another thing, too. You get people that are saying he's tired of it. It's not like he's trying to do it either. I don't think he's trying to be funny or he's trying to to get a laugh with these quotes. I think this is generally the way that his brain works, and the world needs more of it. No, it really <laughs> does. But we still have one more hot after the break, and then we've got our four knots. But don't go anywhere. You're listening to Tailgate Talk on Legal 91.1 FM. Welcome back to Tailgate Talk on Weagle 91.1 FM. We've got one more hot on the list, and the Commodores, Vanderbilt, scores a touchdown off a punt. You're probably thinking, oh, okay, that happens a lot. Uh, oh, real quick, shout out to Cordell Patterson for breaking the NFL record for mo- most of kickoff returns uh, at nine, so he should be in the Hall of Fame just for that stat alone. But So Vanderbilt is facing Florida, punts from their own 45 near the end of the second quarter. Uh, Florida muffs the punt near the goal line, and Wesley Schilling, Vanderbilt's long snapper, was the one to fall on it for the touchdown. As we know, Vanderbilt ended up winning the game 31-24, which puts their SEC win streak at two. So shout-out to Vanderbilt for just kind of just turning that season around and the Commodores making some making some headway. They are 5-6, and six, so knocking on the door of bowl eligibility. But, no, just shout-out to Wesley Schilling, the Vanderbilt long snapper who probably nobody would have known his name if not for a humongous play, to just get down the field and get on the ball. Because I've seen this a lot where just nobody hustles, and if you would have hustled, you you would have had a big play. But, no, he shot down that field and the first one to come up with it, so congrats to him on doing that. But we're going to move on to our knots. Uh, Christian... What do you got for the knots? Yeah, so this honestly could have been the worst, um, the worst knot of the week, and it's something that didn't really get highlighted, and I'm not really sure why because it should have been, 
But Dabo chose to make a couple ironic comments about Tennessee following their loss to the Clemson rival, South Carolina. Uh, he started the quote with, quote, Tennessee is not built defensively. They're built, they're built to outscore people. So granted, although it may be true, that's, that's kind of already a bold statement to have. Uh, but nonetheless, uh, it, it gets worse, which, you know, if that, if that was already something that you're like, ooh, yeah, just hold on. So he followed it by saying, referring to Tennessee, quote, they're flipping burgers during the conference championship weekend. Like, are we going to play in Atlanta or Phoenix? Obviously, that's where the two college football games are hosted this year. Um, and then says, and then next thing you know, they forget that you have to go out and play. And if I'm not mistaken, I think Clemson got wiped out of the college football playoff rankings a couple weeks ago when they forgot to show up and play against Notre Dame. Thoughts? Yeah, you know, I don't doubt. That's just if you've watched the sport even for a year, you know that anything can happen. Yeah, the greatest teams in the country can get beat by just teams you barely even know the name of, and South Carolina. While not a just a powerhouse in the SEC, still has SEC talent. Yeah. And Spencer Radler, when he is on, he is on, and he's he's one of the most athletic quarterbacks in the nation. Also, you had your quarterback, who's a Heisman favorite, go down. I'm not giving Tennessee like excuses. They shouldn't have lost that game. There's no reason to get blown out that bad. But as an opposing coach, when you did just get blown out by a Notre Dame team who is looking very good now, but early in the season was looking dreadful. Yeah. I think they lost to Marshall at one point. You have no room to talk. Uh, so, Dabo, you, you haven't won one in a couple of years, so you kind of get off your high horse. I, I didn't like those comments at all. Not not a very good look for Dabo. Yeah, it's ironic because you know, his his quotes following the loss in South Bend were, we deserve this loss. This was a uh, butt kicking. We'll go with that. Uh, just flat out period. We got our tails handed to us. So it's weird when you say those quotes and then – you're saying those quotes about another team a couple weeks later. And, again, it's ironic from a team that forgot to go out and play and ultimately finds themselves looking from the outside in to the college football playoff. Yeah, but moving on, Texas A&M, Jimbo, just a lot going down there in college station, period. But not a lot of not a lot of people watching it, apparently. <laughs> so Texas A&M, they're playing UMass, and they're only up 10-3 to three at half. Uh, they ended up winning that game 20 to three. There was an announced 90,000 capacity. That is what A&M announced at the beginning of the game. At the end, like the end of the third quarter, I'm being serious. It looked like there wasn't a football game going on. It looked like no. a COVID game, and not only did it look like a COVID game, it looked like the COVID game where nobody was allowed in there. Yeah, it's shocking how empty there was just nobody there. And at a major college football stadium, even when Auburn went three and nine. I mean, we still had, what, at least like 50,000 people something here. Like that, yeah, something yeah. like there. And the stadium wasn't just bare, but literally, no, it just looks like a ghost town. And considering that they packed it out beforehand and that many people left because they're that disappointed at the, I guess, the play on the field, it's kind of one of those like, well, do you blame the fans for leaving? But also, I mean, that's still your team and they're winning. So it's just one of those weird things. But how do you announce a 90,000 capacity seating and at the end of the third quarter, it looks like a ghost town. Go look at the picture if you haven't seen it. It's shocking. Yeah, I would have. I would love to see. I don't know if there's any way that that. I mean, I guess that all those pictures came from people's phones, so it's not like they had uh, like video recording of the entire game. But I'd love to see a time lapse of everything that happened because it was legitimately like everybody came to see the band. Granted, 
they're uh, I forgot what their band is called, but they have a very very good band. Yeah. I mean, I feel like that's one of the reasons why Auburn lets the, the opposing band play when they're here because what they do is is so professional and it sounds good and it looks awesome on the field. Like there's not flags and stuff like it's just the band. They walk. They use all 100 yards of the field. And I mean, for any Auburn fans that were at the Auburn Texas A&M game, you saw how cool it honestly was. Like it's cool when the opposing band gets gets cheers yeah. um, from the home field. And honestly, it, it looked like that was the only reason that fans stayed. Uh, it's funny that you talk about it. I have it to where it looks like a JV scrimmage. Yeah. Like that's honestly how the the stadium looked. And again, it's not like it's some no name team. I mean, you're playing at Kyle Field when that place has all what is it, 102 thousand plus in there uh the place is honestly one of the toughest places to, places to play in college football but i guess when you when you only have a touchdown lead against the one and nine minute men and then again the season has gone the way it is it's it is hard to to point fingers at the fans when it seems like they've made their vote on what they want to happen with with the end of the season yeah, no, no, they cleared out real quick. And, again, I don't know what they're going to do at College Station down at A&M, but something's got to be done about Jimbo. And I, I know you owe him $85 million if you fire him now, so you can't fire him now financially. Yeah. But you got to go to him and be like, like this is highway robbery, dude. Yeah. Like, you, you can't be not missing bowl games. You really can't be going 7-5 and five and we're paying you this much, but you definitely can't be going, what, they have a chance to go 4-8 and eight if they lose to LSU. Yeah. So, I mean, there you go. I just, just – we think we think we have it bad here at Auburn. It could be it could be worse. It could it could definitely be worse. And I actually want to save my last hot or my last not for last. So if you want to go ahead and with your with your other one, if you don't mind. Yeah, because mine's mine's a little more lighthearted. We have Vanderbilt again, and again we want we want to shout out Vanderbilt all we want to because congratulations, they're having a great season, and again a chance to make the bowl game. But obviously you beat Florida. You haven't beat them in years. Yeah. You stormed the field. Yeah. It's just something you do. Florida's a big program. But this might have been the most polite, well-organized field storming in college football history. Again, I can't do it justice. Just go watch the video. But it was just so orderly and neat the way they just kind of single-filedly, calmly walked down yeah. and just walked on the field. Um, it was just, it was just kind of nice, just kind of taking a stroll. Hey, hey, let's let's go get on the field. And yeah, like, yeah you, want, you want to? Yeah, yeah. A, a, a cool, calm two hundred and fifty thousand dollar <laughs> fine yeah. to just walk on the field. So. I don't know. I, I don't even want to put it in the uh, in the um, in the knots because it was really funny. And again, congrats to Vanderbilt on a huge win. But I mean, come on. I, if you're going to storm the field, and you're going to pay that fine. You need to go crazy. You need to be yeah. jumping over barricades. Um, but no. Well, yeah, it is funny because not all of our knots are something that's bad. It's more. It's almost like yeah, you've, you've mentioned it a couple of times. We're little kids here. We find anything comedic, and it's all of a sudden it's going to find its way onto the segment. Uh, if anybody needs a visual of what this looked like. Uh, I saw on Twitter that a couple had mentioned that it was comparable to a bunch of elementary school kids getting off the bus and waiting to walk to their field trip. And that's honestly a very true statement. I mean, it was just like at midfield, it was like almost like everybody was like, all right, um, what do we do now? Like there was no music playing, no anything. It was just a very calm, calm, cool and collected. Let's go have a Sunday picnic at the park. And, yeah, they got fined the same amount that South Carolina did this past weekend for beating Tennessee. They got fined the same amount that Tennessee did when they beat Alabama. They got fined the same amount that LSU did when they beat Alabama. So it's it's funny to see the different types of field um, 
Stormings. Is that what we're calling this? Is this? Oh, it was a it was a, it was a little scattered shower. Yeah, I go. would say <laughs> scattered scattered showers down there at uh <laughs> like that. at Vanderbilt. But uh, what you got for the last? Yeah. Night? So real quick, uh, before we go into a commercial break, it's the worst knot of the year by far, and any anybody should be able to agree with me as EA Sports announces that there will be a year delay in the college football video game. EA Sports, the famous maker of all of the NCAA football games, has not made a college football game since NCAA 14 because at the time the NIL was just a tiny glimpse in the eyes of destroying and players like that who were trying to create that deal uh, from the ground. Who would Destroying, if you don't know, uh, was a kicker at UCF or a punter at UCF that essentially quit his college football career because he was posting videos on YouTube, making money, making money off of that. And the NCAA essentially made him pick which one. And he was like, okay, I'm going to take my following that I've made, made here. And I'm going to take off and run. And if you're looking at it now, I watch his videos to this day, yeah. all of his one-on-ones and stuff like that. He definitely made the right choice. Uh, but players like this should get credit for the NIL being created. Sorry, that was a l- little bit of a, an off topic rant there, but EA Sports hasn't made a video game since NCAA 14 because the players were wanting to get paid for their talent on the video game. So now that the NIL was created, the intention was okay, let's go ahead and let's get back into this. So they basically made, or they basically asked a bunch of teams to sign a waiver, and I think all of them except for like 12 did. So it was obviously perfectly fine for NCAA to get this going. The initial intended release was for July of 2023. But unfortunately, now it's looking like a summer 2024 released. Uh, EA Sports Vice President and GM, he said regarding the delay, he said, that's the best date for us to bring the game that we think is going to meet or exceed our player expectations. We cover the breadth and scale of what we want in this game because we're trying to build a very immersive college football experience. Things like... The specific names of players, which was expected, uh, specific chants and cheers for the crowd for each team, which is a cool thing. It'll show a little bit of each tradition uh, for each team and stuff like that. So if it comes up to meet those expectations or exceed the expectations, I think that they will be forgiven. But if it just ends up like another year in Madden, yeah. that's when there's going to be be major issues. I literally wrote here, in all caps, please don't be like Madden. Yeah, please don't be like Madden. I think that's why people still play the old NCAA games. Yeah. Stay. I mean, I still do. I Literally, I came up here. I'm going back to Bruton, and I am I had my, my 360 up here. I'm bringing that back to Bruton. I'm not bringing my Series X back to Bruton. Yeah. I'm just going to bring my 360 back to Bruton. I'm just going to go play Road to Glory because those NCAA games are amazing, and getting to play as your favorite college football team is just so fun, and I feel like people have been waiting, what, I mean, it's been eight, nine years. So while this is kind of devastating news to, you know, people like us who are getting older, who are getting close to, like, getting in the real world and we're not (laughs) going to have as much time to play video games, if if it's as good as they're marketing it as, then, hey, I'm all for waiting a year, get it right. But, again, if this is another year of Madden, then... No, I'd rather just have the game now. Yeah, but go ahead and give us the NCAA 14. Just give us the updated rosters, and we'll play that until it's until it's created. Exactly. Well, we're going to take a quick break. We are going to get into the Week 13 games. It is rivalry week, so a bunch of huge, game, huge games on tap. But you are listening to Tailgate Talk on Weagle 91.1 FM. And welcome back to Tailgate Talk on Weagle 91.1 FM. You're probably wondering if you're a regular listener of the show – it's 4 o'clock. Isn't this time for them to kind of go off air? <laughs> and normally you would be right, but again, 
given the fact that I don't even think we're supposed to be here, we've kind of got the place to ourselves, so we're going to go a little bit longer. I think I said it like this was like a month or two ago. We're going into overtime. Yeah. Um, and that's kind of why we've just kind of been like kind of taking our time. How This is how we actually want to do the show going forward. Uh, next semester we are going to two hours, which is amazing. We're really excited about that. Um, so kind of get used to this longer format. And if you don't like it, then um, I guess you can just kind of quit after the first hour because <laughs> we, we do like kind of taking our times and going through these games and giving them kind of the spotlight that they deserve. But we have finally reached week 13. It is rivalry week. Uh, we're not going to talk about this game, but we just want to mention Georgia and Georgia Tech. Guess is an historic rivalry. Uh, number one Georgia playing Georgia Tech, but uh, how do you think that game's going to go, Christian? Yeah, well, Georgia's favored by thirty-five and a half, mm. and you know I'll go crazy here and I'll say that Georgia won't cover. Wow, okay. Just because there's not a need for them to. No. Uh, I mean, Stetson Bennett might play a half, might play two and a half quarters, maybe three, but there's no need for them. And I think this is why Georgia gets a little bit of their strength of schedule hate that they do because the East is building up. The East is getting better and better with Kentucky and Tennessee and Florida, teams like that. But when a good LSU team is playing a good A&M team or a good Auburn team is playing an Alabama team, that's what you're having to prep for. Georgia's not really having to prep for Georgia Tech. They really haven't over the past couple years other than when Georgia was going 8-4 and every single year, but now that Georgia has taken that step to elite status, you know, you're you're not even really gaining a week. This is essentially a cupcake game at the end of the year when instead if you're LSU, you're playing for a hopeful spot in the college football playoff. But, again, <laughs> we won't talk about it for too long. I like Georgia big. Yeah, yeah, same. Uh, the, only, the only way I'll pay attention to this game is if on the ticker on the bottom it's – Somehow Georgia Tech is like close, or it's like when you it's know, like zero zero. Like yeah, yeah, exactly. Thirteen like, minutes in the yeah, first quarter. Like, I like watch a, it. yeah, I'm like, oh, okay. Let me tune into the first <laughs> drive. But no, besides that, we're not gonna pay too much attention to this. Me and Christian do this sometimes, so we'll go through the show. We send each we send each uh, each other the games we want to cover, and we're like, yeah, let's do that one. Or I don't think we really need to cover that one. Uh, this is my one that I wanted to add. Uh, number ten, number ten, Tennessee is a fourteen point favorite at Vanderbilt. And you might be thinking, why are you adding this one? This kind of sounds like Georgia Tech, Georgia. Well, Tennessee is coming off an embarrassing performance against South Carolina. Vandy's riding a two-game SEC win streak. Of course, Hendon Hooker's gone for the year, so Heisman, Heisman uh, favorite quarterback is gone for Tennessee. And Vandy is 5-6 and six fighting for bowl eligibility. Kind of all the makings for a little upset. Can Vandy possibly win and get bowl eligible? What do you think? You know, I'll let you take – major charge of this um we we've heard it that kirk herbstreet actually likes vandy in this game um so i i'm sure there's a bunch of bunch of sec fans that are like okay i'll just go against whatever he says because i feel like whenever it comes to sec games you never want herbstreet to pick your team um but are, are you are before i say anything are you are you going with the upset I am indeed going with the wow. upset. Yep, I'm going with the Commodores. I don't know. I feel like the rushing attack, again, they're not going to be able to do it through the air. But I feel like they're, they'll do enough to get the job done. And, again, I just don't know what Tennessee's going to look like without Hendon Hooker. Is it going to be like one of those Arkansas situations to where they're dead in the water? I don't think it'll be that bad. But y- you basically got a team in Vanderbilt who's 
uh, I think one of their players came out and said, this is a playoff game for us. I mean, because it is. Yeah. It, it's an opportunity to go play for a bowl, which I know we like to pretend like bowl games don't matter anymore. I hate that argument. Because, yeah. again, if you're 6-5, and five, I mean, or if you're 5-6, and six, again, take Auburn. I'm hoping, I'm hoping so bad we beat Bama, not just to beat Bama, obviously. I want to go to a bowl, whether, that, yeah. whether that's in Birmingham or, or what the Music City Bowl. I, I like bowl games. I want to be playing in December. I want to see my team play. And you got a team like Vanderbilt who hasn't been in a bowl game in years upon years. This is huge for them. So just, just for, maybe it's just a little nostalgic. Maybe it's just really hoping. Uh, yeah, I've got the Commodores in this one. All right, well, you mentioned it early in the episode with Lee Corso, but I'm going to have to hit you with a not-so-fast. Okay. You mentioned the Russian game for Vandy might be enough. For that reason, I'm going the opposite side, saying that Tennessee's run game will be enough. Mackenzie Milton, a name that we feel like we've heard but not necessarily known where. He's the quarterback at Michigan a couple years ago, transferred to Tennessee, and has looked very solid in his snaps in the late fourth quarters, if you want to call it garbage time. Uh, and then that last little bit against USC did throw for a touchdown. Uh, I just think his athleticism will be enough. Vandy gives up over 150 rushing yards a game. Tennessee rushes for almost 200. They're going to be heavier on that run with Milton at quarterback, but – he definitely has the arm strength, and we saw that a couple weeks ago um, when he was throwing bombs with like a minute left in the fourth quarter that everybody was kind of like, you know, why are you doing this? Yeah. Um, but I just like him. I like his athletic ability. He'll be able to run the ball when he needed to, but again, Tennessee running the ball for almost 200. I got Tennessee right at the cover mark. I got him 31-17. to 17. See, Christian, that's a problem. I, I'm just going gonna to go back to the movies here. Um, <laughs> have you ever seen The Replacements? I don't know. It's a really good football. Underrated football movie. Uh, stars Gene Hackman as the coach and Keanu Reeves as the quarterback, but at the uh, at the uh, final game, uh, basically it's a bunch of replacement players, uh, like free agents, like kind of players that weren't good enough to earn a job in the. It's like it's basically the NFL, but it's professional football league against uh, a stud Dallas team who's one of the best teams in the nation. And as they're walking off the field, they're getting they got pounded in the first half. They go up to Gene Hackman, they say, "Hey, what does your team need?" And he just pats his chest. We need we need heart. And I'm not gonna lie, I'm I'm going basically off heart. And I know that sounds stupid. No, I think the Commodores get it done. I you can throw your stats out the window. I don't care that the Commodores are getting it done. But let's move on to a uh, huge game uh, involving the cultural playoff implications. Iowa State is at number four TCU. TCU is only favored by ten and a half points at home, which is kind of interesting. TCU obviously trying to attempt a perfect season. Can State, who is four and seven, spoil the Horn Frog season? First off, <laughs> shout out to the Big Twelve this year because, like we mentioned, Iowa State and TCU are at exact opposite in the standings. Iowa State is one and seven um, in the Big Twelve, but again, Iowa State is only a ten point dog in this game. Uh, they're four and seven their overall record. But again, I don't know how reflective it is because they're almost like Nebraska from classic Scott Frost, Nebraska. They're one in six in one score games, which, you know, you win half of those games. You're looking at a, you know, seven and four, eight and three possible record, which is a lot more respectable than the four and seven does. With that said, you know, my guy, Max Duggan, he's one of the best in the country. Again, I think deserves a ticket to New York City. The intangibles that he has that doesn't show up on a stat sheet is enough to win it without talent. When you add the talent on top of that, it just adds for an even better story and an even better player. 
However, Quentin Johnston and Kendra Miller, Johnston, their star receiver that we've talked about a few times on here, and Kendra Miller, their star running back, are both questionable after their second half injuries last week. However, with that said, howevering the ho- however, yep, however, however, <laughs> uh, Duggan still found a way to get it done against Baylor last week, and I expect nothing less in this game. I got TCU 27-14. to I like the prediction, too. And I feel like this is one of those games where, like, this is a trap game. It always happens to these yeah. Big Ten, Big 12 teams where they'll, they'll, have, they'll be like 11-0 or 10-2, and and then they'll lose. The only difference is, though, TCU has played in close games throughout the season. So this isn't like they're coming in and they haven't, almost lost to unranked teams. Yeah, they, they've yeah. almost lost to unranked teams several times. So I don't think is going to be taking this one lightly. I think they know what's on the line. And I've actually got them a little uh, higher than you. I've got, I got it 35-10. I think they just – I think they know what they need to do. I think that spread's a little disrespectful. And that's what I would do. I would say, look at the spread. You're the number four team in the country against, what, a three and seven team, and you're only favored by ten and a half at home. Like, go out there and get it done. So I got TCU big. Real quick before we go to the break, number five LSU is a nine-and-a-half point favorite. At Texas A&M, LSU is riding a five-game win streak while A&M just snapped their five-game losing streak. Is LSU looking ahead to uh, the SEC championship? Could A&M come up and sneak them? Yes. Oh, oh. we're going with it. Okay. I am, I am going with it. Expect – I mean, Texas A&M, what, ex, what expectations do they have? I'm hoping that they can almost be like a – Hey, screw it, seniors go out and get the job done. And, again, it might be a heart thing for me, like you mentioned with uh, Vandy, which won't happen. But um, <laughs> Hey, patting the chest on this one, aren't you? Yeah. I think – I mean, I, I expect a low-scoring game here. We saw what LSU did on the road at Arkansas, putting up – was it 13? 13 points against the Razorbacks defense. Uh, I think it could be a first to 30 wins if, if, if it even gets that high. Uh, Texas A&M is going to need a good first half. Otherwise, the fans are going to disengage even more than they already will. But when you're playing spoiler, it always seems to bring out a little bit more energy. Uh, and I feel like that's why there's a lot of energy here this weekend, not only because of Cadillac, but it's because, hey, we have nothing to lose. I uh, I forgot which player said it, but we're basically playing with house money at this point. Yeah. Uh, we're betting on Auburn. If we don't win, we just take our own money back. Like There's nothing nothing to be lost. Um but again, we saw what LSU's look LSU's offense looked like on the road. And I like I like the Aggies. Give me the Aggies at home 24 to 21. Let's stir up the college football rankings even more. Now, this would be incredible if they did and then LSU could somehow win the SEC. Yeah. That would be the greatest scenario. I it would just be chaos. And I actually I actually like this pick by you. I'm not going to go with them. Okay. I think LSU's going to win, but I do like that upset. I, I think nine and a half is too much. I, I am going to take A&M with the points. I think I think LSU does get it done. I hate, to, I hate to just take your score, but I think it's 24-21 in favor okay. of the Tigers. So we're just going to field goal game regardless. Exactly. Okay. I, I do think this game is very close. Honestly, because the talent disparity isn't that big, Mm-mm. A&M's got some players again. I can't believe they have that bad of a record. But, uh, no, I think Jane Daniels has might be the most improved player in all of college football. He's looked really good at the quarterback position for LSU, and I feel like they'll be up for this game. I do think it's close, and I think it's a drag-out brawl, but I do have LSU taking it 24-21. We're going to take a quick break. we got to talk about two top 15 teams and one huge game, obviously, Ohio State-Michigan. Then we will get to Auburn, but you are listening to Tailgate Talk on Weagle 91.1 FM. And welcome back to Tailgate Talk on Weagle 91.1 FM. 
Uh, never heard that PSA before. That's the first time <laughs> our listeners have heard that commercial. We've never gotten this far into the show. We got two more games and two games they are indeed. First off, we got number 15, Notre Dame, at number six, USC. USC is favored by five. First year head coach Lincoln Riley has USC at 10 and one and knocking on the door of the college football playoff. On the other side of that, first-year head coach Marcus Freeman has turned Notre Dame's season around with a five-game win streak, including a dominant win versus Clemson. USC QB Caleb Williams has emerged as a Heisman contender and a favorite among some. So the question is, can Notre Dame's defense stop Williams and pull the upset to pull the Trojans – or sorry, the oh yeah, the Trojans out of the, uh, out of the playoff? Yeah, this is definitely, I feel like, the most underlooked game of – the weekend, if not like this season, because if Notre Dame can pull this off after losing their first two to Ohio State and Marshall, winning eight of your last nine, I think it is, and you could honestly or arguably take one of the top offenses in the country out with you, uh, Notre Dame could honestly win 10 games this year if they won their bowl game, which is crazy to think because Notre Dame is, again, one of those teams that I think we wrote off in the beginning of the year. Uh, there's there's so many different ways that you can look at this game. Uh, Notre Dame gives up just over 300 yards a game, uh, their defense, and the USC offense puts up more than 500 every single week. So if you're looking at it like that, it's almost like one of those has to give. We're looking at Notre Dame, which, again, I talked about a team that we've written off. They have wins at North Carolina versus BYU, both ranked at the time. Syracuse, who's also ranked, and then Clemson. So it's not like – their five-game win streak has come against, you know, laugh, stock laughs or whatever, anything, anything like that. Like, they're playing very quality opponents, and even Dabo said it themselves. Or, um, no, that was – never mind. That was the wrong game. Um, but they're playing quality – getting quality wins, playing very good football right now. <laughs> it's scary to think that a Notre Dame win could bring Alabama back into the college football playoff. Yeah. That's, that's such a weird thought because, you know, two lost teams never made it. You know, I guess if you're looking at it, LSU and Alabama are those two possible candidates for consideration. But I like Caleb Williams. I like how he takes care of the ball there at home. Uh, we saw we saw what he did against UCLA, getting out to that 14 to 14 nothing deficit, and it was almost like you know rather than panic, and he was like, "All right, guys, hop on," and <laughs> they hopped on his back, and he carried the way and torched that UCLA defense for more than 400 yards. I like the Trojans in a close one. I like the five points right there. I feel like mm-hmm. that's a solid one. I got the Trojans 34-30. to 30. I agree. I think Oddsmakers got this game on uh, nailed on the head because usually you give about three and a half for being at home. So initially they think on a neutral field, USC is favored by about one and a half points. So pretty even teams, and I think so too. I think these teams are pretty even. But again, uh, exactly what you just said. Caleb Williams at home, I feel like they're going to get it done. If this was in South Bend – I would go Notre Dame fully. Yeah, no, honestly, it'd be it, it's a totally different conversation, especially playing spoiler. But no, I the fact that it's at home, and again, I feel like Lincoln Riley, the the quarterback head coaching duo, I like right here. I like Lincoln Riley. I think he's a great coach, and I think Caleb Williams honestly is one of the best players in the nation, and I think he'll prove it again. I got I've got USC in a close one. I got it 39, 30, 35, so around that five mark. So I guess I'm taking Notre Dame to cover, but again, I feel like this could go either way. But yeah. you never know. Uh, uh, the Irish could pull it out. And then the biggest game of the weekend, it will have college law implications, oh, yeah. no, where, whichever way it does go. Number three, Michigan, is at number two, Ohio State. 
Ohio State is a seven and a half point favorite. A lot of stats to come right here. Both teams coming at eleven and zero, uh, and both are coming off scares against unranked opponents. Winner goes on to the Big Ten championship game and likely the college football playoff. Michigan won last year, but Ohio State is fifteen and two since two thousand four in this series. This is also the 13th time both teams have been ranked in the top five when meeting. State leads that 7-4 and one tie. And then also you got C.J. Stroud, the quarterback for Ohio State, is another Heisman contender. But Michigan does have one of the best defenses in the country. A lot of stuff in this game. I feel like it's been talked about to death. But at the end of the day, what do you think is going to happen? Yeah, so I was actually listening to a preview in the car before, before I walked in here. And it's from our favorite. It's from Josh Pate, one of the guys that I think is. I mean, I guess you can't refer to him as a small analyst anymore because he's he's doing amazing things. But I absolutely love all of his analysis, regardless of it being, you know, from Auburn or not. Just his whole analysis on college football. But I was kind of mad that I watched it because everything that I was thinking he said. So now it's like, well, crap. Now I have to give you're credit. Just, yeah, you're just copying Josh. Yeah. Pay. I don't want to hear this question. But, uh, the way that you're looking at it is you're looking at it, okay, the, the Ohio State offense is arguably the best in the nation versus a Michigan defense, which is also very good. But when you look at who they've played, obviously they've played similar teams, but a couple of the differences – you know the question of is Michigan is is their def- has their defense been tested? Yeah. And if that was their if that was the question going into the game or going into the season or going into this game, you know your opinion hasn't changed. If you're Ohio State and you're going, or if you're sorry, if you're Michigan looking at Ohio State saying like, well, which defense has they played? Your opinion hasn't changed on that either. So it's it's a tale of like you're finally going to see what's you know we have all these stats, we have everything to look at that we can make predictions on but on Saturday we finally get to go see both of these teams go out and play and it's crazy to think that I feel like the media attention has been so high on Ohio State that Michigan the number three team in the country has been so underlooked throughout the entire season a team that made it to the college football playoff last year a team that beat this team this time last year has gone under the radar completely. I feel like it's been the media has completely controlled um, Ryan Day, T.J. Stroud, everything like that with the Ohio State offense. To where, you know, if you're Michigan, that's almost feeding your energy in itself. Michigan puts up 452 yards compared to Ohio State's 492. So if you're wanting to argue argue that Michigan's offense isn't as good, I mean, you're giving up 40 less yards. And that Michigan defense is also giving up 40 less yards than Ohio State does at 200, just around 240 a game. They're only allowing 80 rushing yards per game and 11.7 points per game. Again, we can go through all of these stats, but the argument for both teams come to, are they battle-tested? Have they been physically ready for this game? And again, you talk about it. The winner essentially has a free ride into the college football playoff. I feel like you could, you could still slip up against you know if it's going to be Iowa and still make it in that four spot with that said though sorry I know I've gone on this for for a while talking about the media attention if we're if you're asking me which of these teams can lose and still make it to the college football playoff I think it's Ohio State yeah it's definitely not Michigan if Michigan loses this game I think they're out and it's so weird because again this Michigan team beat Ohio State last year 
and they are 11-0. They're the number three team in the country. But if Ohio State loses the college football play, the committee loves Ohio State. They would love to put that offense and that brand into the playoff once again. So no, in no way am I saying that this is a bigger game for Michigan than it is Ohio State or vice versa. I feel like somehow because of the persona that Ohio State brings, they have a little bit more breathing room in this game because if they lose and say one of these other teams loses or say, you know, because I'm guessing they would drop behind LSU, Georgia beats LSU, Ohio State could slide right into that four spot with TCU going to three. It's crazy just thinking about all of those little situations that could that could ha- happen. However, with all of that said, it's all for naught. I like I like the Buckeyes. Um, I like them actually to cover in this game. Yeah. Uh, the loss in loss in Ann Arbor last year. They're not going to lose. They're eight and zero in their last eight contests on the, at home. And so because of that, I like the Buckeyes. I got them 38-27. Yeah, I know this is a very interesting game. And I haven't even thought about what all you just said, but it's true. It feels like Michigan has gotten no media attention or very little. I feel like it's all been on Tennessee, Georgia, Ohio State. TCU's gotten a good bit, which in fairness they should. I feel like, uh, And I feel like the reason they have is because people want to make sure, like, hey, do not forget to put TCU in. If they go undefeated, you better put them in. Um, But, no, it's like Michigan's kind of gone on the wayside – and they're a very good football team, and I know I know it, you can get the stats. Like statistically, they are a great defense. I saw one stat though that kind of it doesn't null it void, but like they face seven of the worst thirty-five offenses in the country. So you're like, well, how good are you really? Just yeah. down to the battle test. It'd be again, vice versa. You can say the same thing for Ohio State facing a bunch of teams that maybe aren't defensively that sound either. So you just run up the score on teams that aren't that good. If this was in Ann Arbor, I would definitely pick Michigan. The fact that it is in Columbus hurts me a little bit, but I st- I'm still going to go with the Wolverines. And really? I am, and I think I'm wrong. I think in my heart – I, <laughs> I know that sounds awful. If I had to put a million dollars on it, honestly, it'd be tough. I'd have to think about it harder. <laughs> yeah, you, you, you give me till Saturday right before the game to think yeah. about it. But right now, just my gut, again, it's more of a gut thing. I think Ohio State is the better team. Yeah. They're the better team, and they're at home, so that should dictate I should pick them. But I don't know. I feel like Michigan's going to come in with a chip on their shoulder, and I feel like they're definitely good enough to beat them. I don't think that's a question. No. I think this is going to be very close, very close, kind of a coin flip, could go either way. I do think Michigan gets it done, though. I get, think they get it done 32-28. Uh, but, again, one of these weird games where I think it could go either way, my eyes will be glued to that television when the, when this game comes on in prime time because – this is a playoff game. Yeah. This is a playoff game in November, and it's it's great to see that two of the biggest brands in college football are like both eleven and zero, and they're playing for the rob. This would be like if Auburn and Alabama were both undefeated. Yeah. Uh, going into yeah, I mean, it's just as big as that one versus four game in two thousand thirteen. You know, things like that, or even the the one versus ten, or one versus what was it six a couple yeah. years ago. It's yeah, it has that same impl- implications. Um, and if you are waiting till Saturday to make that prediction, if you were betting a million dollars, if that's the case, I hope that you would split some of that with me. Of course I would. But um, one of the biggest question marks for the Wolverines is not only their pass rush for what they lost with you know Aiden Hutchinson and players like that, but for players this year, we mentioned him earlier in the show, Blake Corum, um, the big question mark on whether or not he's healthy. He went down with a knee injury versus Illinois and did have – some sort of brace on when it, when he was you know delivering his turkeys or whatever he said he'll be fine, but you know no running back or no player is going to say yeah I'm out I'm I'm not going to play this one I'm going to set this one out so 
it's a big question mark to see if he's healthy because I don't think I don't think the Michigan pass offense. We talked about it a little bit ago. I don't think that offense is is one to be feared, much no. like or in comparison to that Ohio State offense, where you're like, okay, this team can put up forty on me, and I'm still halfway through the third. Um, Michigan relies on that run game, so if they don't have their star running back, I think that this game could definitely change the way that you you might see it right now. No, it's a good one. I can't wait to talk about it next week when we do find out what ends up happening. But we've got one more segment to go. we got to talk about <laughs> Auburn and with, with all that entails, just 15 short more minutes and we'll be done with this extended version of Tailgate Talk. But you are listening to Tailgate Talk on Weagle 91.1 FM. And welcome back to Tailgate Talk on Weagle 91.1 FM. It is now the time to talk about our Auburn Tigers, and they did take care of business last Saturday, beating Western Kentucky 41-17. to I think that point spread was like at 5-2, so good on Auburn to basically tell Vegas to go, you know, shove it up, you know what. Uh, didn't allow any second-half points because this game was tied going into halftime. Tank and Jarquez both went for over 100 yards and two touchdowns apiece. And the defense finally getting those turnovers, coming up with two second-half interceptions, just so – well-rounded game, especially in the second half. I feel like in the first half we were just kind of watching like, gosh, I can't believe this game is this close. And then, like, they came in halftime and a fire was lit under them. Cadillac had that team ready to go. Just kind of – it's good to see the team playing well and the offense getting into a little bit of a better groove than what it has been over the past couple of games. Yeah, no, they definitely have. It's crazy to see what second-half adjustments or what halftime adjustments can do to a team. Um you know if I'm taking that shot, but um, <laughs> like you said, yeah, I was scoring them 24 to nothing in the second half. Huge pick six, and then again, Tank and Quez both having long runs. I feel like this is like the third or fourth straight week where Tank's had a 30 plus yard touchdown run um, off of like a little pitch play. And I love, I love the pitch play, uh, the the Quez halfback pass. I loved it. I was actually, I was talking to, um. I was talking to some people before this game, and it's like, okay, with how much we're running the ball, something like that has to come eventually. I am a little bit surprised it came at a time like this. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, we did need that spark to to jolt the offense. But because of how many outside zone reads we're running or how many halfback pitches we're running to try and extend the defense to help the offensive line, we're getting tight ends out uh, out on the sideline to create holes and stuff like that, and it's working. But there had to be a time where something's going to have to to switch that. And, I mean, for all you know, it was perfectly timed. Those pitches are going to be a little bit more open because Bama could be, you know, fearing, I guess, the the trick play. Uh, but, again, you know, I was I was very content with, with what I saw from the team. Cadillac's, I mean, 2-0 and in full weeks where he's had time to prepare. and But regardless, in those three weeks that he's been head coach, Auburn is covered every single time. Yeah, no, it's definitely a different air around the program, and the team seems to have a lot more fight in them, uh, especially given the fact that we were four, I mean, uh, what, three and six uh, just a short time ago, yeah. now battling for bowl eligibility. Unfortunately, that bowl eligibility will be battled against Alabama. The Iron Bowl is this Saturday. The biggest game to me, one of the biggest games just in sports every year, even if one team's not that good and historic, like, in recent times, it's if the one team's not good, it's Auburn, which is unfortunately. But Alabama is a 22 and a half point favorite. But we are fighting for bowl eligibility. But Bama has to have this to keep their college football playoff hopes alive. Again, it is a very long stretch that they can make it. But 
you could definitely pick out some scenarios where if this happens, this happens, this happens, Bama could slide into that fourth spot, and we know the committee would love <laughs> to find a reason to slide Bama into that fourth spot. Basically, the big question is we know Bama's better, a good bit better. Obviously, they're 9-2, and two, and their two losses have come but in one-possession games where you feel like if a play went one way, they're undefeated, and right. they're in the SEC yeah. Championship against Georgia. And then you have Auburn, who's had a, a season. Uh, we'll, <laughs> we'll call it that. So I feel like uh, people around here are kind of thinking, I think we can do it. Cadillac, is he's got this team up and up and coming. We're fine for eligibility. I think we can go in there and do it. And if it was at Jordan-Hare, I would say, you know what, maybe. Maybe we could. But it's in Tuscaloosa, and that's a tall task. I don't know. What do you think? Oh, you can't throw it on me right there. <laughs> you didn't like that. that. You didn't uh, like I was hoping that. you'd talk a little bit more and I could just fade us out. Um, I don't know. Again, you never want to discredit a team for for fighting. And you've seen insanely what Cadillac has rebuilt and reinstilled into a program that was I don't even know if dead is <laughs> does it justice. Um it's it's crazy to see the energy that he's brought, not only in the stadium, but around campus. I mean, I feel like I'm walking around campus at a completely different different place just because it's like we're looking forward to Saturdays and that's something that needs to be in every Saturday kind of feel uh especially on the plains Bama only allows 107 rushing yards per game that's a big number right there because in the three games under Cadillac Auburn has rushed for 259 yards per game and one of those definitely has to give the fear for me is that if Alabama can can sell out on the run, put seven, eight, even nine at times in the box and force Robbie Ashford to throw. If 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 Saban and Alabama go out and Robbie Ashford throws for 450 yards and five touchdowns and beats you, I think Saban just has to tip your cap. Yeah, but, I know we lost, yeah. But I think if somehow Tank goes 25 carries, 250, and four touchdowns, I don't think he would let himself be okay with that. No. And that's that's the that's the big question mark there because we've seen, I mean, the past couple of weeks, I think Robbie Ashford's thrown the ball 35 combined times or something like that, and he's like 8 of 17 and 9 of 17 or something something along those lines. And then the another big factor that comes into it, which – it could help Auburn if you're looking at it from that way, but at the same time it could make it even worse for Auburn is that the weather is not looking very good in Tuscaloosa for Saturday. It's supposed to be a very rainy, uh, very wet game. And so if that's the case, are you looking at it as it could help Auburn because Auburn's is has been running the ball better of late, or does it make it where Alabama can now sell out even more and with the offensive line str- offensive line struggles Will Anderson and people like that can take complete advantage of a team with a passing game that already isn't what it feels like it should be and then you add the the weather elements on top of that it could just add insult to injury um uh yeah I don't know I just I don't you take over, you know. I'll put you I'll put you back on the spot. I'll, there's my little spill. Yeah, I know. I, we, we've <laughs> we've thought about giving score predictions. I'm not going to give one because, okay. um, again, I think I think there's three games this week where you could say there's a lot of hype, and an upset could happen. That's the Vanderbilt Tennessee game, the LSU A&M game, and then this game. 
and I hate to say this, but I feel like out of all the scenarios, I feel like Auburn beating Alabama is probably the least likely to happen. And you're probably saying, well, how is that? Like you're, you're saying Vanderbilt's more likely to beat uh, <laughs> Tennessee than Auburn is to beat Bama. Yeah, and the odds makers think that too because I think Tennessee's a 14-point favorite and Auburn's a 22-and-a-half-point dog. Yeah. So I just think a lot would have to happen. And, again, a lot of magic fairy dust, heart, whatever you call it. I think if anybody could, I think Cadillac could. Oh, 100%, yeah. I, I'm not saying it won't happen. And I'm watching that game, and I and I'm not I don't, I don't expect to win, but I, I I expect to put up a lot of fight and have it and make it close, make them make them earn it. I think a lot would have to happen, and basically I I think Robbie Ashford would just have to not have the game of his life. He would have to basically be another quarterback that I I haven't seen any indication that he can do what he needs to do to beat Bama, and that's just not a knock on him. That's just. That's really that's just how good Bama is, and you have to be spectacular to beat him. And I just I don't think we have the weapons to do that. But again, never say never. I hope we do, but I'm I'm not giving a prediction. Yeah, once again though, you talk about it. If there's one person that could do it, it would be Cadillac. And in no way are we throwing this, throwing the white, throwing the white towel, saying you know we're we're surrendering this game because we've seen again. I'll mention it. We've seen what Cadillac has done to a team that was dead in the water. If you would have told me that three weeks ago with how bad everything was after Harson's departure that we could possibly looking at bowl eligibility, if we're being honest, when we were three and six, I was sitting there going, we might not win another game this year. Yeah, it might be done. Even with Western Kentucky. Because, Western because I Kentucky's knew that they a had a team. very good pass offense, and I was like, there. I don't know if adjustments are going to be – necessary because it wouldn't matter it's like there's so many different things but now you're looking at it the team has fight and it's I mean it it almost looks like that again I'll mention it again that Mississippi State lost it was almost like that was the first game of the season and because the two teams are completely different (laughs) this team now would kill the Auburn team that ran on the field against Penn State and that's such a weird thing because it's essentially (laughs) the same players that are taking the field and again, there's there's just so many things. I'll we'll, I'll wait. I'll go to bed Friday night, going, you know, I don't feel good. I'll wake up Saturday and go, you know, we're gonna beat out. Well, we're gonna beat we're them. Gonna beat out. I'm about to so say. I feel like that's that's what every Auburn fan does. That's what every every fan does whenever there's uh, whenever there's an opponent that they feel like they can beat. I will say one thing here. It has been said, and it's almost famous, and it's almost what Nick Saban fears. There's nothing more dangerous in the college football world than an Auburn team in November with nothing to lose. Yeah. And I feel like he's almost said that a couple times, but it really is it a team like Auburn that has such crazy games. I mean, I it just it's just one of those things. I mean, I don't know how to explain it. I mean, I know you know what I'm saying because of how we're at Auburn, but it's just one of those things where you can't explain what happens. It's just one of those things that happen and Again, a team take last year. For I'm gonna say, I'm gonna say, nobody well, gave Auburn a shot in the dark to beat Alabama, and all of a sudden, it's 10-3, 58 and a half minutes into the fourth quarter, and all of a sudden you get one stop, you win the game. Yeah, but still, you take number one team in the country to four overtimes and lose 24, 22 to twenty. Nobody gave you a shot in the dark to have a chance to cover or anything, and all of a sudden, everybody now sees like, okay, maybe this Auburn team, you know, is is weird, but at the same time. That was at home. This is in Tuscaloosa. We'll, we'll end it with that. Yeah, we'll see. Never say never. Real quick before we end the show, 
Just a little update on the coaching search. Uh, I think Dion, it's safe to say, is officially out of the yeah. coaching search. Uh, apparently, he is looking at Colorado and what's what's what's. Do you know the other one? He's looking at two teams. It's Colorado and somebody else. But it's, it's was I, it Georgia? It was Georgia Tech a couple weeks ago? Yeah, it wasn't Georgia but Tech. I don't think it was Georgia yeah, Tech. I don't even think it was Power Five team. It was Colorado and somebody else. Um, all signs right now are pointing to Kiffin. We didn't really want to get too much into this because it's speculation. I USF, like, sorry. USF, that, yeah, that's who it is. We don't want to get too much into this because it's all speculation. I feel like people are getting beat over the head <laughs> every single day, new things coming off on Twitter. Basically, the gist of it is Monday, um, I think it was a just like a, a te- like a, a TV guy or just a broadcast. Yeah, it's one of the station reporters. Yes, he, he basically confirmed that Lane Kiffin planned to step down as head coach and take the Auburn job, job, Auburn job after the Egg Bowl, and Lane Kiffin responded back with, "That's news to me, John." With like a hand on the face emoji, <laughs> nice sources, and then a bunch of other emojis, which I don't even know how to translate Lane Kiffin. And then ever since then, Kiffin's just been on a Twitter tear of kind of a putting this guy down and b, I guess, uh, propping up Ole Miss football. The funniest thing was. He, he tweeted, he said, just doing some late night reading, and it's just a book titled The Egg Bowl. <laughs> <laughs> so Kiffin, Kiffin doing what he does best, stirring the pot. And I've seen some people saying, well, if Kiffin said that, that means he's definitely not taking the job. I don't think Kiffin really cares about how people see him. No, not that at do, all. That doesn't mean this, that doesn't, this doesn't mean anything. Honestly, I think the guy would not have said that if he didn't have any sources. I mean, he's a credible guy. He's a journalist. Well, he's also the one that broke the news about John Cohen coming to Auburn, and he got hate for it because it hadn't gone public yet, but he was the first one to say it. And, again, yeah, everybody was like, no way, this isn't happening. Like, you're just trying to to tweet anything out, and then it ended up happening. So, all of a sudden, like you said, this guy does have very credible sources. And, like you mentioned, I feel like Lane's just doing it for comedy. I feel like he is the number one guy here that everybody's looking at. Analysts are expecting him to do it. I don't know if I would – I don't know if it would be announced before the Iron Bowl. I no, feel like definitely that would be, not. It would that definitely would be a bad be. shot at Auburn uh, and Cadillac. But, again, there's there's just so many different ways that you can look at everything. But I think Lane is definitely doing it for comedy or is doing it for leverage. One of those two things. But I definitely see it as a high possibility that Lane Kiffin and Juice Kiffin control the Auburn Tigers next year. Yeah, I was about to say, I wouldn't, I wouldn't be surprised we, if we – Heard the steam engine rolling in, and the lane train was here Monday. Honestly, I, I and we're we're opening the show saying, "Well, it's announced Monday," because I think that's what happened. I think uh, Cohen got announced Monday. We were like, uh, "Auburn got a new yeah, athletic yeah. director announced Monday." I feel like a very similar announcement might be coming over the airways next Wednesday is at three o'clock. But uh, that is gonna do it for the show. Nice little long long show. We actually got to just kind of talk about what we wanted to talk about. We it was did. First, first time ever we didn't have to rush through segments which was very nice, but I've been Donovan Weaver, and oh, Christian, you got one more thing? Yeah, I was going to say one more thing. Make sure to check us out on Spotify. We are officially yep. on Spotify Plug. now. On uh, look, Search up Tailgate Talk. You'll find this episode here in just a little bit, or by the time you're listening to it, it will be there. Or you can go back and check out any of our previous episodes. Follow us. Uh, just stay tuned for any of the future episodes. Hopefully, again, next Wednesday we're coming out with some new information yeah, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to totally cut no, you off. I was about to say, to no, you, you, no, you, you could have ended it. But, uh, yeah, thank you for listening. This was Tailgate Talk on Weagle 91.1 FM. Thanks for joining us on this week's episode of Tailgate Talk with Christian and Donovan. Tune in next week, same time, same place, Wednesdays at 3, for your weekly dose of college football.